is a code of silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 19th of February 2009. Newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and download as many of the previous talks I've given as you wish. I try to give you shortcuts to understanding the big picture of those that control the world, the big pattern, and, uh, and actually where it's going as well. The, these guys at the top love to write dusty old books, at least they end up gathering dust in libraries, and they tell you where they're taking us. And it's all done by subversion, subterfuge, and basically bypassing all democratic institutions. In fact, they run the democratic institutions. We're not supposed to know where we're being taken because we wouldn't like it, you see. And that's why you don't tell the children the scary stuff. We, of course, are the children, according to those at the top. We're just too dumb and immature to understand what's for our own, what's in our own best interest, basically. That's what they'd tell you if you talk to them face to face. Also look into Alan Watt Sentient, Sentinel.eu for transcripts of the talks I've given in the past. You can print them up and they're written in the various languages of Europe. You can also buy what I have for sale on my site, cuttingthroughmatrix.com. That keeps me going. And you can donate as well. As I say, I don't ask for payment for any of the work that I do for many of the shows that I'm on. I was thinking today of a magazine that used to be out. It was called Mad Magazine, where they lampooned politicians and events of their time in a sort of cartoonish way. And it's very, very funny. And apparently when they packed in, they stopped uh, publishing their magazine. It was because life was becoming so ridiculous that it was very hard to lampoon it anymore. And things have gotten that way. Things are so incredibly politically correct that it's double-think, double-speak time that we're living in. And nothing makes much sense to us. So, it's, so the most crazy, ridiculous things are becoming law, passed into law for us all to follow, like global warming and things like this. And we have to run our whole lives, apparently, on how much carbon we use up in our lifetime. It's a big stick. It's a big idea, as they call it, to give us ideas for every age and a myth-making machine. They always give you a massive myth for the age to believe in. That was the whole policy that Leo Strauss ran the neoconservatives on. He taught many of the members of that club, the, the Americans for the New American Century, the policy club that they had. And he said we have to create a myth for the public to believe in. In other words, for what they call positive liber liberty, it, it's a form of Sovietization or Nazism where the whole country has to be involved as one against something. So they gave you a war on terror. That was the myth. And in such a positive liberty scenario, you lose all your freedoms and rights, all for the, the greater good, as they say. And the positive 
freedom and negative freedom philosophy came out of Isaiah Berlin at Oxford University. This was, he was a philosopher, and this was his idea for running the century as well. So you have all these philosophers at the top training these people who then come into the workforce that they're, they're given steps up to the top, and they end up running our lives for us with all these crazy ideas. But they're not so crazy when you boil it down, because tyranny is tyranny regardless of the camouflage they put upon it. Before I continue tonight, I'd like to mention about chemtrails and a newspaper that will publish them, and I'll give you the name of this paper after I come back from this break.
and to see the rise in cancers, for instance, all the kinds of cancers that have happened, especially in the last 50 years, is just astonishing. Uh, this should be a crisis, but it's not a crisis. Why is it not? It's because it's the agenda. The sperm count, too, has been falling for 50 years. Why is that not a crisis? Because it's the agenda. It's very simple when you understand the agenda. And here's the farce, as I say, that's supposed to control our lives, the threat of annihilation through global warming and excess carbon in the atmosphere. Now, here's an article here from the New Scientist, 23rd of January, 2009. And it's from one of their clones. I call these people clones because they're interchangeable with their mantras about the global warming. And they've, they've really uh, fed themselves very, very well and lucratively by pushing these mantras on society. And they're interchangeable because they all give the same spiel, the same spiel on any topic. They're all identical with, with, with what they see and what they say, regardless of where they're born or what country they're in. And as I say, this is from, this is from James Lovelock. This is the guy who dreamed up the Gaia theory. This Gaia theory. At least he's given the credit for it. And he's made his, his living on this whole thing. And no doubt he's been pushed by the big foundations, the same old boys. You know who they are. It says here, with his 90th birthday in July, I bet he's not eating GMO food. A trip into space scheduled for later in the year and a new book out next month, probably ghostwritten. 2009 promises to be an exciting time for James Lovelock, but the originator of the Gaia theory, which describes Earth as a self-regulating planet, has a stark view of the future of humanity. He tells Gaia Vince, Gaia, who's Gaia Vince? Gaia Vince, eh? We have one last chance to save ourselves, and it's nothing to do with nuclear power. It says here, you work on an atmospheric chlorofluorocarbons led eventually to a global CFC ban that saved us from ozone layer depletion. Now, that was utter nonsense to start with. DuPont got the contract with the new stuff they use in refrigerators. Because the old stuff, you see, was heavy, heavier than air. It stayed at the earth. It didn't go up into the ozone layer. But that was the con they pulled at the time. And this guy was well rewarded for pushing this nonsense. It says, do we have time to do a similar thing with carbon emissions to save ourselves from climate change? And this is what this guy says, who is, who is a true believer, remember. He's a eugenicist. He believes in the survival of the fittest and the elites and the killing off the less of the lessers, as you'll see later in this article. But he says, not a hope in hell. This is his answer. Most of the green stuff is verging on a gigantic scam. So he's admitting that, that the whole greening thing is a scam. He says, carbon trading with its huge government subsidies is just one of what finance and industry wanted. It's not going to do a damn thing about climate change, but it'll make a lot of money for a lot of people and postpone the moment of reckoning. I'm not against renewable energy, but to spoil all the decent countryside in the UK with wind farms is driving me mad. It's absolutely unnecessary, and it takes 2,500 square kilometers to produce one gigawatt. That's an awful lot of countryside. Then it's asked, what about work to sequester carbon dioxide? It says, it's a waste of time. It's a crazy idea and dangerous. It would take so long and use so much energy that it will not be done. He's asked for his, his ideas on nuclear power. 
And would that solve the problem? It's, it's a way for the UK to solve its energy problems, but it's not a global cure for climate change. It's too late for emissions to, uh, reduction measures, he says. Then he's asked if we're doomed. He says there's only one way we could save ourselves, and that is through the massive burial of charcoal. This is his latest fad. They go through fads, these guys. He says it would mean farmers turning all their agricultural waste, which contains carbon that the plants have spent the summer sequestering, into non-biodegradable charcoal and burying it in the soil. Then you can start shifting really hefty quantities of carbon out of the system and pull the CO2 down quite fast. Then it says, would it make enough difference? It says, yes, the biosphere... Now, listen to this. This is their estimates. The biosphere itself, meaning all the plants and nature and so on, excluding humans, the biosphere pumps out 550 gigatons of carbon yearly. That's without our help. It says, we, the humans, put put in only 30 gigatons. 99% of the carbon that's fixed by plants is released back into the atmosphere within a year or so by consumers like bacteria, nematodes, and worms. What we can do is cheat those consumers by getting farmers to burn their crop waste at very low oxygen levels to turn it into charcoal, which the farmer then plows into the fields. So this is, this is his latest scheme for it. These schemes, mind you, means that they're well rewarded. And, and, and the crazier they are, the better. It seems to be that way. It's like lies. People like the big lies. They'll swallow that, but they won't fall for the small lies. It's the same with these schemes they dream up. He says, do you think we'll survive? He says, I'm an optimistic pessimist. I think it's wrong to assume we'll survive two degrees centigrade of warming. There are, now, here it comes, you see. There are already too many people on Earth. You see, here's the old eugenics thing again. At four degrees centigrade, we could not survive with even one-tenth of our current population. The reason is we would not find enough food. You wonder what all this hype about food is as they, as they, as they start tightening the reins on the food. It's, it's all tying in together, you see. It says we wouldn't find enough food unless we synthesized it. Because of this, the cull, the cull during this century is going to be huge, up to 90%. Well, he's right on target with Jacques Cousteau and all the other big boys. 90%, that's what they want. So that they can survive, supposedly. You know, the elites like themselves. It says the number of people remaining at the end of the century will probably be a billion or less. It has happened before. Between the Ice Ages, there were bottlenecks when there were only... I love how they dream up these figures. They're talking about, you know, thousands and billions of years ago. Between the Ice Ages, there were bottlenecks when there were only 2,000 people left. How would he know? Then he says it's happening again. I don't think humans react fast enough or are clever enough to handle what's coming up, he says. Kyoto was years ago, and virtually nothing's been done except endless talk and meetings. I don't think we can react fast enough or clever enough to handle what's coming up. But there you go. This is your standard character who's spent his life making a career for for himself by putting out all this nonsense that's politically correct because it goes along with the agenda of the Club of Rome and all the other organizations that plan to use this scam of blaming mankind for global warming, even though it's a lot of BS to begin with. But that won't change it. Facts won't change what's happening at all. Now, everyone knows uh, that 
the World Economic Forum was on in January. And the papers made sure we knew that much, that every prime minister and president attended it. And, of course, we, the average person, thinks, and they all told us, too, out of this is coming a new economic system, a new economic system. And once again, we yawn because we're not told very much, and we think, well, that's it. It's a bit to do with money. And we know it's a redistribution of wealth and so on. But what was it really, really about? Because you go in to what happened at the World Economic Forum, and what they also called it amongst themselves was Summit on the Global Agenda. The Summit on the Global Agenda. Global Agenda, you see. Look up Agenda in the dictionary. Back with more after this break. through the matrix I've talked on about these big foundations with their thousands of NGOs uh, meeting across the world over many many years planning our future according to a pre-written agenda in fact and finding ways to implement all our different parts of the agenda into society through media entertainment etc etc and as I say, whenever you hear of these big meetings across the world, look into them because you'll often find there's more to it than meets the eye, an awful lot more to it. Because I say at the World Economic Forum, much more was discussed than, than basic economics. Very, very misleading, of course, because that's the way they operate. They, they do it undercover. Everything's done undercover because the public's not supposed to know uh, where we're going. That's, or, or why we're going there, in fact, or who attends even. And they always have them in these places for the United Nations, like Davos, Switzerland, like this one was held, that most people can't just jet off to and get a ticket to get in. But all the NGO leaders can get there and, and wine and dine and live on the best food and so on. And I don't think they were caring about their carbon output during that time or cutting back on the supplies of food they were all consuming or the types either. But you go into their agenda and actually called it to the World Economic Forum Summit on the Global Agenda. And you can look up Summit on the Global Agenda reports to see what they were going into. Because it's every facet, every facet of life for every gender, for every age group, from birth to death, including employment and everything else. Here's what it started with. Economic development and growth, that sounds all right. Environment and sustainability, that's all, that's coupled together now with economic development and growth. You can't have both coexisting properly unless you bring down the population, obviously, the big mantra of reducing the population. Finance and business, fair enough. Geopolitics and global governance, global governance, Health, regions, they call it regions across the world under the United Nations. Society and values, talk about cultures here, your culture. And it's not talking just about them, it's how to create new values for the culture, for creating a new culture. They have special departments that do that. They work with all entertainment industries and the media. Technology and innovation. 
global issue profiles, alternative energies, and benchmarking progress in society, challenges of gerontology, that's the elderly, too many of them they claim, challenges of nanotechnology, they're so excited about nanotechnology and what it's going to do, chronic diseases and malnutrition, climate change, this is at the World Economic Forum, corporate governance, corporate governance, what does corporate governance mean? Look it up. Corruption, demographic shifts, design, diversity, economic growth and development, economic imbalances, that's redistribution of wealth, and for all those in the Western world who are losing their homes because they can't pay the rent or the mortgage, you're supposedly the wealthy. They must distribute your wealth to the third world countries. Ecosystems and biodiversity loss. Emerging multinationals, empowering youth. Empowering youth means really the creation of mass organizations that will be used politically to again enforce certain laws and rules and regulations that will come in down the pike, down the future. Energy security, entrepreneurship, faith, religion to your religions are all part of this discussion at the World Economic Forum. Financial empowerment, financial market development, food security, fragile states, future Africa, future of Australia. Very interesting at the future of Australia. You should read this, all you Aussies down there. Future of China, future of entertainment. This is all the World Economic Forum. Each one is a, is a big area in itself. Future of entertainment is, is going further and using entertainment basically be used as propaganda tools to give you certain opinions. That's what's to be used for. So if you go into this, have a really good read at it because it's just fascinating to see what was really discussed at the World Economic Forum, or as they like to call it themselves, the summit on the global agenda. For those who still think that they have nations, the global agenda and thank you again for the media for keeping all the truth of it really, really out of the papers, as Mr. Rockefeller has said before on previous occasions. Here's an article here, too, and it's from The Guardian, Thursday, 19th of February. It says, Remington is right. This is a recipe for creating terrorists by Sumas Milne. This uh, journalist says, I never imagined I would say this, but Stella Remington is right. The former head of MI5, who made her career running the security services' dirtiest operations in the 1980s against the miners' unions and the IRA. And that's true. They set up a whole bunch of dirty tricks to destroy the miners' unions. Maggie Thatcher, in fact, imported Polish coal so that she could put the miners out of business in Britain. And she was very successful. Poland, by the way, was a part of the communist conglomerate at that time. But she had no problem trading with them. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
watch and we're cutting through the matrix. Reading an article from The Guardian where the former head of MI5 has a lot to say on what's happening in Britain and the world today. And she says here that the government has given terrorists the chance to find greater justification by making people feel they live in fear and under a police state. Naturally, ministers described her remarks as nonsense and accused her of playing into the hands of her enemies. But the damage is done to have the woman once hailed as Britain's Queen of Spies accusing the government of recklessly counterproductive authoritarianism carries a special weight and incidentally turns the traditional relationship between labor and the secret state, like that secret state part, on its head. Rivington went further, denouncing the U.S. for Guantanamo and torture, but reverted into type by insisting MI5 doesn't do that. Nor, as we know, it contracts that job out to others while its officers stand by compromising or promising to arrange more lenient treatment if the victim cooperates. In case after case, British collaboration in the hidden crimes of the war on terror has now been laid bare, but none more so than in the seven-year ordeal of Binyam Mohammed, the last British resident in Guantanamo, the details of whose CIA kidnapping and US-orchestrated torture across four countries, the Foreign Secretary David Miliband has twisted and turned to prevent being made public. You know, Britain, Britain's very good at that. They keep behind other countries. As it now turns out, the U.S. letter warning that intelligence sharing with Britain would be damaged if the torture evidence was published. They're terrified to publish it. So it's used to strong-arm the High Court into suppressing it was in fact issued at the request of the Foreign Office itself. Perhaps that's hardly surprising when the court has already heard that MI5 officers questioned the freshly tortured Mohammed in illegal Pakistani detention under government guidelines and fed questions to CIA interrogators as he was secretly rendered from Pakistan to Afghanistan to Morocco. This is what they did to these guys. <laughs> Mohammed was hung from leather straps and beaten in Pakistan. Now we better get that through our thick skulls, you know. This is what's coming down the pike across the Western world to the people within those countries. That means you and I, everyone. That's what this means. We always think it was over there somewhere. Some other sap is getting it. He doesn't look like me, so I'm okay. Don't you ever kid yourself. This says, Mohammed was hung from leather straps and beaten in Pakistan and had his genitals slashed in Morocco while other British terror suspects questioned by MI5 had their fingernails ripped out. They ripped out their fingernails. Mohammed ended up confessing under torture to a, a fantasy dirty bomb plot. The old charges have been dropped and he's finally due to be returned to Britain any day now. This is what they've been doing to these guys across the world. As we sit by and watch junk on television and fantasy and trivia and sports. It says, but new labor sins in the war on terror are catching up with it. And it's not only officials, but politicians up to and including Tony Blair, who could be in the legal frame as a result of British collusion with torture. Extraordinary rendition, they call it, illegal abductions to third countries and ghost prisons. By the way, this turns in with extradition that's been made uh, legal now. Countries are now extraditing people from all other countries 
across the world um, for other kinds of new crimes, like speech crimes and things like that. That's happening right now. There's no doubt a battery of state powers and immunities will be deployed to head off such humiliation, but as this week's chilling International Commission of Juris report on the counter-terrorist free-for-all put it, the framework of international law is being undermined. The U.S. and U.K. have led that undermining. Now, this also comes under what I mentioned earlier, and that's this concept by Isaiah Berlin of Oxford University, he's dead now, who came up with positive freedom. Positive freedom is a technique where the people are goaded into action, becoming all as one towards some great threat, but it really is a guise, as he knew himself and stated so, for authoritarianism and totalitarianism by tyranny to control the people. And that's what this terrorism BS is all about. Because politicians were terrified that they were going to lose it over the public. The public were so disgusted at the corruption within politics over the last 20, 30 years, they knew they were losing it. They were losing control over the people and they were terrified of that. So they invented terrorism. Simple as that. That was the new myth for the age, as Leo Strauss designed it. Now, I'll go to callers now. And we've got Rick from California there. Are you there, Rick? Uh, yes. Uh, am I getting through, Alan? You are. Oh, hi. How are you doing? Not so bad. Yeah, um, I was coming out of the uh, grocery store today, and I was approached by this, uh, this, this pretty Asian woman who was very young, who was very uh, active. Um, she was very young and idealistic and uh, said she was from the Cal- League of California Conservation Voters. Mm-hmm. And then we got to talking, and she started uh, going to this diatribe about this Republican who voted against all these uh, uh, environmental uh, clean air, clean bills, clean energy things. And she said, do you want to go for the 100% guy or do you want to go for the 6% guy? And I said to her, um, well, suppose I'm a legislator. Suppose, put me in the place of a legislator for a minute. And across my desk comes this uh, bill, you know, with conservation measures um, that sound really good and clean. But then attached to it is some kind of clause that uh, denies uh, elderly people of health care. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think I'm going to vote for that? Of course not. And, and I said, that's how it works in yeah. Washington. It's, and she said, I know, politics is very dirty. You know? mm-hmm. And... Because I was thinking about that, that bill you were reading last night about the, um, the you know, about how they're going to deny elderly people their their um, c- care. Yes. Oh yeah. And I wonder. Well, there's no doubt about it. If, if, again, under the United Nations definition of a good world citizen, that's the term that Obama kept using during his campaign for all the the thick skulls out there that never caught it, never heard them, or ignored it. He kept talking about world citizenship. Well, a good world citizen, according to the UN, is a good producer and consumer. When you stop producing and you retire, you're now a, a, a consumer only. You're a bad citizen. And what do they do with bad citizens? Well, they'd rather you were dead. Yeah. Yeah. What? I know. It's terrible. I'm... That's what it is. This is the value of life because it's all coming down to your value to society. That was always the... In a world state where you serve the world state, it all depends on your value to the society. And if if they declare that you have no more value to them, then you're a useless eater and they must dispose of you. That's coming in, folks, and I kid you not. I I also told her about the... uh, how A lot of the global warming agenda is also fueling this push for nuclear energy 
And I don't. And I said, I don't know if you know about this, but uh, to her, I said this. But you know, Africa is being ravaged right now by the extraction of nuclear uh, uh, uranium. It's poisoning people all across uh, in Malawi, in uh, Mali, and all these different places. Yep. And so, I have a question I wanted to ask you, Alan. Um, some Christian websites maintain that uh, Alistair Crawley believed in uh, reducing, uh, killing off what he called the, the um, uh, inferior races mm-hmm. in favor of a Superman. Um, did Alistair Crowley believe this, or did he, did he say this? I haven't myself come across uh, him saying that in any of the books, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he belonged to the right class in that society. And he did, he did believe in, in, in superior and inferior types, but I, I don't know if he ever advocated killing them off. Okay, it was when they said, it was, it was in the context of his uh, visitation by that spirit in Egypt in 1904 that he claims to have had? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all right, well, well, thank you very much, Alan, and for yeah. answering my question. And thanks for calling. Yeah, Crowley was quite an amazing character, but, and once again we find out years later that he worked for MI5 and MI6 during World War II and was set out to set up the OTO and get a, a whole bunch of youth uh, all ready for the, the 60s, basically, because all the big pop stars at the time joined the OTO. And now we'll go to, we've got uh, Leo in Massachusetts. Are you there, Leo? Hi, thank you for taking the call. <clears throat> I heard you today earlier on Alex, and um, I realized that I needed to call you because uh, you know I've been hearing all these quotations of he talks. Alex talks about quotations of the NWO. He gets it from their own documents. Is there a URL anywhere, or do you have one on your site somewhere? Something to the title of, in their own words, mm-hmm. the NWO exposed that all their quotes together with links to show where the quotes are. Well, I'll tell you, I've been reading a book uh, last week there. It's called Hope of the Wicked, and it's by Ted Flynn, F-L-Y-N-N. And the guy uh, literally has done a great work by putting all of these quotes and who said it and what organizations, foundations, NGOs, etc., that they belong to. And it's primarily uh, the Council on Foreign Relations in the U.S., and the British uh, version of the same organization that Royal Institute of International Affairs in Britain, uh, you'll find that pretty well all of the organizations across the world belong to these two groups today, and uh, all the NGOs that come under them as well. Uh, that's where you'll find all of these, these main quotes, and these are definite quotes from their own writings. So Hope for the Wicked is the book? Yeah, it's called Hope of the Wicked, uh, the Master the Wicked. Plan to Rule the World by Ted Flynn. Hope of the wicked. Yeah, well, in my miscellaneous meanderings uh, on the Internet yesterday, I came upon this rather interesting concept, and I'm wondering why it's not getting more play. And what it basically is this, is that they, within the uh, the black rap world, uh, there have been some interesting murders going down. Mm-hmm. And evidently there was a group of... Masonic Blacks called Boule, B-O-U-L-E. Mm-hmm. Have you checked into that at all? No, but I, I do know there are uh, Masonic uh, affiliations within all the music industry and the black one, too, yeah. And I think it's, it's a really you know good point to bring out and research because, I mean, you wonder why people are so quiet 
And I think this is one of the little key factors of controlled uh, opposition. Well, I, I actually uh, had a lot of a pile of stuff sent to me by someone whose brother is an instructor at the FBI Academy, and it was to do with, with gangs across the United States. And it was about the, all their logos. And what was surprising was that so many of them were occultic, uh, Freemasonic logos. That right, these, right. These young guys could not have dreamed up themselves. Exactly. Uh, so that there, there was that odd connection there, too. But you also find, if you look at most of the album covers, going from, back from the 60s onwards up to the present time, you'll see them uh, flashing the signs, the Masonic signs on their covers, uh, standing in the square and so on. You'll see it through them all. It's just all over the place. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that these issues need a broader uh, spectrum analysis because I think as long as there are little quiet things on YouTube that nobody looks at, mm-hmm. then, in fact, if you, if you just, uh, I think, put into the search box, um, B-O-U-L-E, and you'll find stuff... Uh, there's one person, I think it's Steve Croft or something like that. Anyway, he really went into it. Uh, there are a lot of good black people out there fighting this the fight, but you know it'd be nice for us to. Yeah. You know, as I say it's, it's a huge subject. It's every area of the arts as well, uh, and it's all through uh, Hollywood as well, actors and so on. Um, it's, it's almost uh, you're not going to understand that Freemasonry is the religion of the world it's across the entire planet. And even when the churches go down, no one thinks about these little temples standing in their local village. Uh, they're everywhere, and they have been used right down to the present times to further this agenda. It's the same with the Bohemian Grove, all the big... I don't, I don't call them captains of industry. These guys are actually the pirates of industry, and uh, uh, they're all Freemasons to, to get into that club to begin with. You can't go into it unless you're a Freemason. And uh, I was in a Masonic hall for a, um, a friend's uh, recital, and uh, I looked up on the wall, and they cited all the different uh, charities that they That's support. Right. Yeah. Among them was the Salvation Army. How interesting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so well, they, they could... do now, because now they, they see the Salvation Army caved in a few years ago, and they took their, their tax break status, and along with it came the rules of things they could not preach anymore to their followers, um, and they went along with that. So now, that, now they're okay as far as Freemasonry is concerned. Yeah. Oh, what did they have to drop? Uh, any, any references to, to um, alternative lifestyles, put it that way. You mean, you mean like uh, putting down uh, the alternative homosexual lifestyle? Um, even mentioning it, yeah, even mentioning it, that's out of it. They can't do that anymore. There's a whole bunch. Whenever you take that uh, tax break, that uh, CF53 or something, whatever they call it, uh, you get a list from the government of things you cannot mention anymore to your congregations. Yeah, the um, the benefit comes with a really incredible caveat, and um, that's what I think is the problem. Is nowadays the, the black... Ministry has been basically uh, silenced, cuckolded, whatever adjective you choose to use, into this abhorrent silence. I mean, even 
I mean, even before Obama, you know, I mean, now yeah. they're kind of probably going to be silent because of Obama. Yes, I know. Every, every trick that can be played will be played now as we go through this, the biggest changes the world has ever seen. They're, they're telling us the truth when they tell us they're bringing in a completely new world system and a new way of living. And that means everything that you do in life is going to be turned upside down. Yeah. Well, I mean, but but I thanks for calling. I have to go on to the next caller. Okay, thank you. And there's also, I think it's uh, Phil from Florida here. Hey there, Phil. Hello? I can't hear you. Okay. Well, I was going to read something else here anyway because I was sent this article from 2007, which gives you an idea that the whole idea coming into this Great Depression we're into was already known a few years ago, and the big boys were making arrangements to sell off their top shares quietly before they spooked the public. And this is um, from the Telegraph, the 25th of June 2007 by Ambrose Evans Pritchard, and it says here, the BIS warns of Great Depression dangers from credit spree. That's the Bank of International Settlements at the top, the world, the, the, basically the United Nations. And it says here, the Bank for International Settlements, the world's most prestigious financial body, has warned that the use of loose monetary policies fueled a dangerous credit bubble, leaving the economy more vulnerable to another 1930s-style slump than generally understood. But I'll, I'll read a bit more of this afterwards. It's interesting what they say. Back after this break. Through the Matrix. Reading an article from The Telegraph. This is back in 2007, 25th of June, where they go through the fact that there was a depression coming up. And you should read through this article. I'll leave the link at the end of the show. But this ties in with the Wise Up Journal uh, that also did a, an even deeper expose into this particular article from that newspaper. And this put this link up as well. He says here, do you know that the Irish stock market has crashed and lost over 40 billion euro in one year? This is back again in 2007, the 30th of December 2007. He says, if you're not one of the few stock investors in Ireland, then your answer will probably be no. Not surprising since you're not really being told. And he does a very, very good expose into the fact it wasn't just Ireland, it was worldwide at the time. But what they did, they gave time for all the biggest investors to get their money out and, and sell off their shares. And in this article here, they tell you how it was done. See, no, there's no surprises at the top. They know what's coming. They always save their boys at the top. It's, it's the ones down below who lose their, their shirts. Never the boys at the top. Never ever the boys at the top. And also I'm going to put a link up to, it's, a, it's from the Telegraph. It was one of the, uh, the photographs of the year. It got an award. And what it is, this is a picture of an armed sheriff moving through an American home after an eviction due to a mortgage foreclosure that won the top prize in the World Press photo competition. It's like a guy going through a building in the Middle East. Usually they got the cop with his gun ready to shoot the owner, I guess. 
and there's boxes all over the floor, I guess, if they're trying to get their stuff out of the way before the eviction. But this is how they're treating people now if they can't pay their mortgages. And this photograph gets an award. And here's this goon, this, this, this shaven-headed goon, ready to shoot the owner if he doesn't get out. It's disgusting, disgusting what we're seeing today, what's happening. Incredible. And also I'm putting a link up to show you how they're going to turn us all back into serfs. And this is a BBC News item that came out on 19th of February 2009. Land freed for 1,000 allotments. We're going to give people little allotments to get them growing their own food again. This also comes under commutarianism. If you wonder what that phrase really meant, commutarianism. You see, there's going to be a massive food shortage that's going to make it happen. But they'll have all these little people growing their little plots like the serfs did in the Middle Ages. And the nobles will come along, no doubt, and take a good, a good share of what you grow. That's how they did it in the past time. I think they took 60% of, your, of what you produced in the medieval times. The lords did that and left you with 40% to feed your family and any help that you had around the farm. So here they're going to give you, they get you back to your little plot on the land. You feed yourself. People have no idea what's planned. No idea whatsoever what's coming down the pike. And I really mean it when I say there's a brand new way of, of living. And your duty will be to serve the world state. They mean that when they say that. The first person who put it out there was, was Cecil Rhodes. He wanted a, a British-style system across the entire planet. Although he said that, that the U.S. or another country could take up the standard and carry on when if Britain couldn't afford it. Well, the U.S. did take it over, and now they've been the policemen of the world for a long time. They must go under, and China will arise as the policemen of the world. In the meantime, we all become peasants again. Well, that's it for tonight. I hear the music coming in. So from Hamish, myself, and to your Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.